bracing for another atmospheric river. We did all this work, and it's all for nothing. Like now we gotta do it all over again. Flooded out residents face another round of storms and the lawsuit to recover losses from the last one. Healthcare under pressure. Hospitalizations are going up. Staffing shortages stress the system and how Quebec is preparing to tax the unvaxxed. K-cup controversy. So you can peel this off. How a BC professor ripped the lid off of Keurig's sustainability claims. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. As COVID-related hospitalizations climb, the province of Quebec has announced those who refuse to be vaccinated will have to pay for their choices. Richard Zussman has more on whether we could see a similar health care tax in B.C. and how a soaring number of health care workers' sick days is increasing pressure on our hospital system. Billing the unvaccinated. They put a very important burden on our healthcare uh, network. With growing COVID-19 hospitalizations across Quebec, the province announcing those who refuse to be vaccinated will be taxed for healthcare. The question now is would BC consider the same? We are not planning a similar measure in BC. I would say that our vaccination campaigns, all of them, have been exceptionally successful here. The healthcare system here under growing pressure, not just due to rising hospitalizations, but due to staffing. Last week, from January 3rd to 9th, healthcare workers across the province missed 27,937 shifts. That could be roughly anywhere between 4,500 to 8,000 workers. This could be due to COVID-19, due to experience symptoms of COVID-19, or due to other illnesses. Just to be clear, that's the total number. They are shifts. So if you're away for a week, that's five shifts in one person. It also comes at a time when weather could have impacted absences and it's province-wide. Frontline healthcare workers struggling to see their colleagues away from work, and it's already having an impact on the service British Columbians receive. Our members are trying their absolute best to give the best patient care they can, but when you, anybody's workload doubles or, or triples, your quality of, of care changes. You actually just are getting the basic things done often. One thing that won't be considered is something the federal government has asked provinces to look at, requiring vaccine for everyone in almost all facets of life. I don't foresee uh, making it mandatory for vaccinations for everybody in the province. There are vaccine mandates in the healthcare system. But as of now, the province has not extended it to chiropractors, dentists, and others because it has proven to be more complicated than expected. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's get a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for BC. And we'll start with hospitalizations. There are 469 people in hospital now. That is up 38. 97 of those patients are in ICU. Three more people have died from complications of the virus, including a person in their 30s. And there are more than 36,000 active cases now, including 2,239 new cases. Keith Baldry joins us with more. Keith, with the strain we are starting to see on hospitals and healthcare workers, what's the province considering when it comes to contingency plans? 
Yeah, very interesting. Uh, dusting off the playbook from the beginning of the pandemic. I'll have more on that aspect in a moment. But first, a reminder, our hospital numbers are surging. We haven't hit record levels overall, but our daily cases are records. Here's what it's looked like the last four days. Almost 300 people entered hospital uh, for varying lengths of time. The good news is there seems to be shorter stays, 173 discharges or reclassification. So the net increase is 120. But Omicron, this is what's different right now. Omicron is infecting people with scheduled surgeries, which means when they go into hospital for their surgery, uh, whether it's an emergency or planned, they are tested for COVID and they're testing positive. That didn't happen with Delta. Uh, people were going to hospital to get their surgeries, but not testing positive. That's now not the case. Health Minister Adrian Dix today, again, talking about dusting off the playbook from the beginning and turning the convention center potentially, and I stress the word potentially, into a field hospital if our numbers continue to surge. Here's Health Minister Adrian Dix. We are also looking and we are, will be securing additional space capacity for a field hospital in the Lower Mainland, including potentially converting the space we are using right now for the mass vaccination clinic at the convention centre and could have a hospital set up in five to seven days. Those discussions are underway, but I want to be clear, and I'll say it twice to be clear, that we are not moving to stand up a field hospital this time. We are not moving to stand up a field hospital this time, but of course, we want to have all of the options available as we go through these difficult weeks. So again, stress, it's not going to happen now, but plans are being made just in case things do get out of hand. We're going to get a pretty good breakdown of the new hospitalization categorization reporting on Friday morning from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adriatics. More data, I think, is going to be available to determine just exactly who's in hospital with COVID-19 and how they got there. We'll be carrying that live on BC1, of course, on Friday morning. Looking forward to that. All right, thanks for that, Keith. B.C.'s health minister is also defending his government's decision to postpone thousands of surgeries deemed non-essential over the past few months. And that includes the case of a young Maple Ridge girl who's already lost a kidney waiting for treatment. As Amada he reports, Adrian Dix is promising all operations put on hold due to the COVID surge will be rescheduled. The pain hurts because I had to go to the hospital to get a lot of needles. We first introduced you to Jocelyn Ellison on Monday. The Maple Ridge five-year-old who lives with a genetic deformity that causes constant and very painful urinary tract infections. Medication allows her to at times feel and act normal, but each day she's at risk of a breakthrough infection. She has already lost one of her two compromised kidneys. We are so close to closing this chapter and um, Jocelyn has been through so much, so much pain, so much suffering, so much sickness. Doctors had hoped a surgery to remove her deformity would mean an end to her infections and pain. But the procedure has since then been deemed non-urgent and delayed as the province of BC makes room for an anticipated increase in COVID patients requiring hospital beds during the Omicron wave. We know that patients are anxious to get their surgery, just as we are anxious to deliver that surgery. More than 4,200 elective surgeries have been delayed since last September, plus 530 last week alone. Tuesday, the province showed how the overwhelming majority of these surgeries cancelled during the pandemic went ahead later. What the ministry did not do is promise a review process on the surgeries like Jocelyn Ellison's that it sees as non-urgent. Adding the onus is on doctors. We're going to continue to support 
our medical teams in making appropriate decisions around surgeries. I think it's essential that people work closely with their physicians and that we find a way to, to find as much flex in the system as possible. She suffered long enough. She deserves to live a normal child life. Kaylee Valley said she will talk to her daughter's medical team in hopes of pushing the surgery past the province's non-urgent designation. For the little girl who just wants a life without constant pain like her sister, it's hoped that comes before another agonizing infection or worse. It's not fair to go to the hospital every time. Emadagahi, Global News. Hoping she gets the help she needs very quick. All right, we're going to turn to weather now and the latest atmospheric river hitting the south coast. And it's going to be intense. We'll get the latest from senior meteorologist Christy Gordon right now. Christy. Thanks, Chris. Well, you can likely hear the rainfall coming down right now. It's already very heavy. We're seeing reduced visibility on the roads, pooling water on the roads. So this is the start of that atmospheric river. It is going to be intense overnight tonight. When you look at the rainfall uh, rates across the region, very intense, that's for sure. Right through the day tomorrow, it will be intense. We may see a little bit of a lull in the action overnight, but not much of one. So we're talking about in excess of 100 millimeters of rain for parts of the North Shore Mountains. and coast of Vancouver Island getting hit hardest uh, 50 to 90 for the Fraser Valley region by comparison when we saw that storm in November uh, this is far less nonetheless when I come back we'll show you what the potential impacts could be from this intense rain Chris all right talk to you in a little while here Christy well Abbotsford Mayor Henry Braun says his region is as ready as it can be for more heavy rain but there are still some wild cards to watch out for. As Grace Key reports Braun says one area is still at risk because senior governments were holding up flood mitigation efforts. Yeah that was all dredged out. They dredged right from the back of the property all the way up to the corner. And you can see it's already filled in. The creek just behind Don Ellis's property at Claiborne Village in Abbotsford was dredged after the first atmospheric river in November. The village, including Ellis's property, was hit hard. Sandbags are still in place as they brace for another storm. The hardest part of it all, we did all this work, and it's all for nothing. Like now we got to do it all over again. It's not, it's not like you're doing it and moving forward. All we're doing is, is playing catch up for something that we shouldn't have to. You need to keep a close eye on what's happening with Claiborne Creek. Abbotsford Mayor Henry Braun has expressed concern about Claiborne Creek and the need to get it dredged again. We put uh, requests in to remove this sediment from the second and third rivers uh, before Christmas. We do not have approval for that yet. We can't just walk into creeks and start bailing sand and gravel without the approval of DFO and Flynnrod. Late Monday afternoon, the province announced they did approve a second request for sediment removal at Claiborne Creek. The city says work will begin as soon as possible. Mayor Braun says they are prepared as they can be for this latest weather system. The Sumas Dyke was raised by half a metre from when the November storms hit. The mayor is concerned about the Fraser River dikes and the need for funding from higher levels of government. That's a pile of the silt. That came off the front driveway. Don isn't as worried about this latest weather system, but says someone needs to come up with a solution. It's kind of shocking because, like I said, it just, it never seems to stop. It's, uh, I don't know where all this stuff comes from. Grace Key, Global News.
And tonight we are hearing from one of two Sumas Prairie business owners behind a class action lawsuit over damage caused by last November's catastrophic flooding. As Rumina Dea reports, the plaintiffs claim the province failed to properly warn residents of the impending disaster. So this is the winery, our street, our wine tasting room. 40 years of building a business, a life. Oh my God. Ripple's winery wiped out when the dike blew apart. On the Tuesday it started flooding and by Thursday it was up to here. It's not high. Yeah. Catastrophic flooding in November destroyed Caroline Mosterman's winery, distillery and nursery in Sumas Prairie. Mosterman, now one of the lead plaintiffs in a class action lawsuit against three levels of government. There needs to be some accountability for the fact that there was negligence in warning. Hundreds of farms devastated. More than 600,000 animals dead. Homes uninhabitable. Damage could top a billion dollars, said Abbotsford's mayor. The failure of the government to warn residents grossly negligent, according to the civil suit filed against the city of Abbotsford, Fraser Valley Regional District and the province. There were all these big red flags. The government ought to have known of the impending danger given the forecast of an atmospheric river, the disastrous floods of the past and a dike deemed unacceptable in a 2015 report, states the lawsuit. The city of Abbotsford and Fraser Valley Regional District not commenting because the matter is before the courts. Emergency Management BC also not talking for the same reason, adding that the province takes the health and safety of British Columbians seriously in emergency situations. The power of the flood outmatched only by the strength of volunteers. It just gives you goosebumps when you see how many people are coming together from all over the Lower Mainland to help. We're doing what we can to try and get it back together to basically the gem it was in the valley here. Mosterman hoping legal action will ensure this never happens again. Had we had a little bit of notice, we could have moved mountains in, in a couple of days. Lawyer Tony Vecchio says he's been inundated with calls. Just like the recovery, the class action is expected to take years. Ramina Dea, Global News. Trouble brewing for a popular coffee maker. A UVic professor corners Keurig to prove its promise of sustainable coffee pods was not quite what it seemed. That's next on the News Hour. One of the best ball spinners in the world living right in our own backyard. His record-setting success story coming up on the News Hour. And killer whales bouncing back. Signs of success in the effort to save West Coast orcas coming up later. Right now, thanks to a University of Victoria report, a major company has paid the price for what turned out to be a misleading ad campaign. As Kylie Stanton shows us, it involves a claim by Keurig Canada that its coffee pods are easily recyclable across the country when they're not. When making it is as simple as one, two, three. One might assume recycling it would be as well. Peel, toss, and then recycle. But those three steps have now resulted in a $3 million fine for Keurig Canada. It's a real message to corporate advertisers that it's against the law 
to do false advertising. Sanborn and his team at the Environmental Law Centre investigated and submitted a report to the Competition Bureau of Canada back in May of 2019. Arguing Keurig's advertising surrounding the recyclability of its coffee pods was not only misleading, it was damaging recycling efforts across the country. You compost your coffee grind and you put this in your blue bin. Last week, the Competition Bureau announced its decision and agreed. On top of the fine, Keurig has been ordered to make an $800,000 contribution to an environmental organization and pay $85,000 in legal costs. But the most important thing is that they have to issue these notices across Canada uh, saying that there was misleading uh, or false advertising. The investigation revealed the pods were not recyclable in most jurisdictions, from Calgary to St. John's and many cities in between. Only some communities in Quebec and B.C. have the ability to process the material, but that hinges on the pods being thoroughly cleaned beforehand. If you leave them in and you put them in your curbside recycling, those coffee grounds will end up affecting other materials and that will affect the recyclability of those materials. Overall, the environmental outcomes suffer. Keurig Canada has confirmed it's complying with the decision, but how customers will respond remains to be seen. Sanborn says the one thing that is clear is this sets a precedent and in the long run, the environment will be better off for it. As long as we have the truth, uh, we can maybe resolve these problems. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Just ahead, mayors unite for more housing. There is strength and power in our commitment. What they're doing to prevent vulnerable residents from falling through the cracks. Also tonight, a Harlem Globetrotter finds a teammate at the Vancouver Aquarium. Traffic is steady at the Burrard Street Bridge tonight. Minimal delays in both directions. Granville Street Bridge is also a good option. Avoid the Canby Street Bridge. There's some road work happening there in both directions. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. As we head into the new year, the Better Business Bureau is warning consumers about some of the riskiest scams around, many of them originating from online purchases. Happens all the time, but with more on how to protect yourself, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea. And Thanks, Chris. From online payments to sending money to strangers, the Better Business Bureau is reminding consumers to be cautious. The loss of money and personal information to scams is still very prevalent, especially during the pandemic. In fact, Canadians continue to lose tens of millions of dollars to online fraud. Here are some reminders to keep you safe. Be wary of unsolicited emails or text messages from a person or a company. Scammers often make emails appear like they are coming from legitimate businesses and government agencies. So make sure you never click on links or open attachments. If you haven't met the person face to face, don't send them money. This is especially true if someone asks you to wire money or to transfer funds using a prepaid debit card. Sending money this way is untraceable, and once it's gone, it's gone. When shopping online, research the retailer before entering payment information. Read reviews. Make sure you are buying from a reputable site. Do they have a physical address, a working customer service number? Are you making payments through a secure server? 
and be aware of pop-up ads and shopping on sites you find on social media. These ads can be malware designed to infect your computer and steal your personal information. Especially as a result of COVID, the number of people who have fallen prey to a scam online um, has increased and continues to increase. So it is a big problem. Someone could take your driver's license or your uh, social insurance number, your personal health number, and they could take out a whole new identity in, in your name that you don't know about, doing things like taking out loans or um, I've heard other things as well, credit cards in your name, and it could be messy to clean up. So we want you to protect yourself. We don't want you to give out your personal information. And speaking of personal information, don't reveal too much about yourself on social media. Scammers may steal valuable information and you could call vict you could rather fall victim to identity theft. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Let's make it a fraud-free 2022. Thanks very much, Jan. Good luck with that. Yeah, you're right. Okay, there is a full court press on aimed at the province. Mayors calling on the government to implement urgent policies to create more complex care housing to support BC's most vulnerable. A coalition of mayors and the province's business community say housing is needed in a matter of months, not years. Ted Chernecki reports. Just in case you haven't seen the homeless encampments on city streets throughout BC, the mayor's caucus of this province has produced a video urging, no, demanding, that the province step in and provide what they call complex housing. All of us mayors are banding together to say this is a provincial issue, it's taking place, and the things that are happening on our streets are playing out on streets right across the province, and that we as mayors have had enough, enough talk, it's time for action. It's called complex because that's what the most vulnerable among the homeless need. They suffer from mental trauma and addiction issues. Those are complex needs well beyond the scope of municipal governments. We as mayors across the entire province uh, recognize this as our top priority. This is the uh, one issue we get the most calls on. This is the one issue where uh, our municipal councils are being told we aren't doing enough, when in fact we have done everything we possibly can, but the underlying um, supports needed here are housing and health care, which municipalities do not provide. In a statement from Sheila Malcolmson, the Minister responsible for mental health and addictions, next week I will announce the initial phase of complex care housing in British Columbia. The mayors say the current provincial housing policies are getting some people off the streets, but more needs to be done. So what it means is, is that those with the most complex needs remain on our street, and we need to fix that. Our entire 13-member BC Urban Mayors Caucus is here, ready and willing to work together with the provincial government to achieve complex care for our most vulnerable residents. In that statement, the minister describes complex care as a first-of-its-kind program, but one that will be phased in across the province. Ted Chernucky, Global News. Coming up, a breakthrough in diabetes research. And in about a third of patients, they have measurable uh, insulin levels. The discovery by Canadian researchers that could one day make insulin pumps obsolete. And big success for Big's killer whales, the baby boom that could save the species.
problems causing pretty much the same delays on Highway 1 East in Burnaby. There's a crash just after Willingdon in the middle lane and another collision by the Grandview exit in the two right lanes. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, finally, some welcome environmental news from our oceans. It seems that two types of whale species along the West Coast are making a comeback. Catherine Urquhart has more on what might be behind the population boom. They're some of the most majestic mammals on Earth. Biggs killer whales are also known as transient whales. And according to the Pacific Whale Watch Association, 2021 was a great year for that orca population, which had record sightings and experienced a baby boom. I think the message is that we have a lot to be hopeful for. Oh my goodness. Sightings of Biggs killer whales surpassed 1,000 in 2021, and their population of less than 400 had 11 calves last year. Oh my God. Migrating humpback whales also saw a baby boom with the birth of 21 calves. In 2020, we thought that was a great year with 11 calves. And so with 21, that's almost double uh, the year before. So humpbacks are just like the bigs, experiencing a lot of population growth. Marine mammal protections are making all the difference, says the Pacific Whale Watch Association. Humpbacks are thriving because commercial whaling was stopped. Bigs killer whales are succeeding due to protection of their food sources, such as seals and sea lions. But the truth is, because we do have all these protections in place and there's so much more education out there, we are seeing animals return. Not doing so well, our southern resident killer whales, which almost exclusively eat salmon. Their population estimated at just 74. But conservationists remain hopeful that one day they too will thrive, like the humpbacks and the Biggs killer whales. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A Harlem Globetrotter has found a very large Vancouver resident who sure can take a pass. My first one. Here we go. He's ready. That's the Vancouver Aquarium's stellar sea lion, AMAC, collecting a seafood lunch from Harlem Globetrotter Scooter Christensen. Christensen is in Vancouver this week to promote the team's upcoming shows at the Pacific Coliseum and Abbotsford Centre, and he was very impressed with the talent he saw at the aquarium. This is absolutely amazing. Uh, the tricks that they can do, I, everyone that, every fish that I threw, they caught automatically every time. Even if it was a, a bad throw, they make me look good. Vancouver Aquarium's new owners, U.S.-based Hershend Enterprises, also owns the Globetrotters, along with Dollywood and Wild Adventures Water Park in Georgia. Got another guy coming up later who handles a basketball pretty well. But right now in Health Matters tonight, an Alberta research team has made a groundbreaking discovery in the field of diabetes. And as Global Suling Go reports, it's another big step toward getting patients off insulin for good. A few years ago, a University of Alberta team started packing plastic devices with stem cells and implanting them in patients with type 1 diabetes. At the time, they suspected the cells could make a person start producing their own insulin. Now they know it works. And in about a third of patients, they have measurable uh, insulin levels in, in, the, um, in the bloodstream. 
So it's a it's a really good first start with this uh, treatment. And it's a promising step toward a cure for diabetes. Of the 17 people who received the tiny implants in their arm and abdomen, 35% showed signs of insulin production in their blood. And in 63%, the insulin-producing cells survived inside the devices. We're seeing some improvements in the patient's blood sugar, but these cells are, are, are being transplanted right now in only very small quantities. However, at least one person with 10 devices was able to significantly reduce her own insulin dose. Dr. James Shapiro's team's Edmonton protocol broke ground with islet cell transplants in the 1990s, but donor islets are limited and patients need anti-rejection drugs. He says their next clinical trial involves gene editing, the process used in this recent pig heart human transplant in the U.S., the goal is to eventually implant stem cell-derived pancreatic cells in a patient's liver. That would mean an unlimited supply, no risk of rejection, and a game-changing treatment. Then we could uh, start treating children with diabetes. We can treat patients with type 2 diabetes. And I think 465 million people across the world will have a much brighter future. Sulingo, Global News. Coming up later, a BC man with a very particular set of skills. It's a grip and fast movement. The secret to spinning that makes him a world record holder. And how a lot of shoveling really paid off for a family that built its own snow mansion. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Nearly two months after the entire city of Merritt was evacuated because of the November flooding, nearly 1,000 of the city's 7,000 residents are still out of their homes. More than 500 homes are still impacted by flood damage. One of the biggest holdups in getting them repaired is the lack of resources, particularly restoration companies. For these companies trying to clean out basements and stuff, the water was off, everything was frozen solid. I mean, it's, that's been a real, a real uh, holdback, I'm sure, for a lot of these companies. The city has been trying to find housing for people who are still out of their homes, but is waiting to find out what kind of disaster funding it will get. The good news is most of Merritt's infrastructure has now been repaired. The city was evacuated when its wastewater system failed. Feel for those folks, a lot of people out in the Sumas Prairie right now, too. Another atmospheric river is over us and uh, could be problematic, Christy. Yeah, I'm sure it's very scary for anyone that's still dealing with things. We still have some vulnerable terrain. Here's another quick look at the amounts that we're expecting. Hardest hit regions will be the west coast of Vancouver Island and the North Shore. Uh, far less for the Fraser Valley. Nonetheless, we could see up to 90 millimeters, and that's certainly concerning. In addition to that, we're going to see freezing levels climb to about 2,500 meters, and we have significant snow in that low to mid-levels. So we're concerned about that snowpack melting, although this time of year that snowpack is less vulnerable than what what it was in November. So that's some good news. But these are the potential impacts 
So landslides and mudslides are possible. We could see some localized flooding in low-lying areas. Uh, certainly fast-flowing and high rivers and streams are a possibility. Stay clear of them uh, as, as well. Um, pooling water on the roads and avalanches. There's a high avalanche risk all across the south coast and the Sea to Sky Mountains. Now, meanwhile, in the interior regions, they're going to see snowfall, but a transition to rain. And as always, when we get that transition to rain, we get a risk of freezing rain. Doesn't look like much on this map, very patchy, but still, we've had some reports of it up through Terrace, and certainly we have uh, had it in through the Princeton region. Tomorrow, we're expecting, or tonight and tomorrow, we're expecting it in through the Okanagan Valley. So be very careful for the icy conditions there. So uh, temperatures warming up to about three or four degrees in the interior for our region tomorrow. We're talking about nine or ten. Heavy rain expected overnight and right throughout the day tomorrow. We are expecting the rivers and streams to peak late tomorrow into Thursday. We'll be watching those as well. In terms of the rainfall finally easing off, it will ease through the morning hours on Thursday, but much drier conditions expected in the afternoon. And then, thankfully, we've got a couple of dry days on the way. So this is one big event that we're contending with with this intense rain. But thankfully, it is really just confined to a couple of days. Uh, tonight's central windows weather window comes from the bird sanctuary out in Delta. Steve sending us this. Looks like an eyeball, which is kind of eerie, but it's just a good indication of the snowmelt, ice melt that we're seeing and will see across the province. So people really need to be careful uh, around sort of lakes and things like that are covered in ice right now. No doubt. Good reminder. Thanks very much, Christy. A southern Alberta family is making the best of the deep freeze there that's experienced right across the prairies. The cold weather and snow made for just the right conditions to build a masterpiece. Global's Quinn Campbell has the details. This mountain of snow has been a labor of love for the Preet family. This is the entrance. They've created a snow cave mansion, but it's not their first one. Four times, actually. The first year, like one room, next year, two... Next one, plus an igloo this year, like three bedrooms and the party room. Each year, their creations get bigger and better. Oldest brother Micah says the hardest part this time was after all the digging was done. I would say it's pretty much getting situated when we were going to sleep in it. That's right. They spent the night inside the cave, soaking up some family time. Me and my three kids and my brother and one of his kids, we spent the night, Saturday night. We had a pizza party and Settlers of Catan until about one in the morning, and then we all crawled into our sleeping bags. And if you're wondering what it's like to sleep in the cave... Like normal sleeping, but on a mattress in a sleeping bag and with blankies. I almost thought I was in my trailer for a second. It was cold at first, and then... We brought a bunch of different heaters in. Now the boys are hoping this year's shoveling pays off. They've posted the mansion online, inviting people to pay for a night's stay, hoping to save up for something special. Same as my bigger brother's a Nintendo Switch. We're, we're both saving up for one. It's not a bad lesson to learn that if you work hard, you can get something out of it. So that's maybe one of Dad's ulterior motives here. Southern Alberta weather is forecasted for a rapid warm-up, so you might want to book early with these budding entrepreneurs before your chance at sleeping in a snow mansion melts away. Quinn Campbell, Global News. I was going to get some good ratings on Airbnb. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's right, a little chilly. Except in the summer. 
Yeah, good point. It might get a little soggy. Yeah, it'll get a little soggy. Mm -hmm. Very wet, though. Sleep in there. Do we get to hear Vanny Sartini quotes again? Yes, as a matter of fact. As a matter of fact. It's hard to believe, but the Whitecaps season is not that far away. In fact, training camp is only a week away. So we asked Vanny Sartini, what's his New Year's resolution for his team? Just to continue on being, uh, I would say, upbeat, energetic, and even better than, than last year. He also says he wants to try being a vegan. He said that too. Uh, of course, if the Whitecaps can start this season the way they finished last season, 2022 will be pretty good for Vanny. The guy's learning Japanese. There's nothing he can't do. I know. And how about this? Jay Durant spins a tale of a BC man with great work-life balance. How it got him into the Guinness Book of World Records. Long layoff for the Vancouver Canucks didn't seem to help tonight. Well, he knew it was going to take its toll, and we talked about this yesterday. This five-game road trip that started tonight in Miami is going to be very tough for the Vancouver Canucks. This is a gauntlet. Every team on this trip is good. And as we said, Vancouver didn't have a chance to play many games recently. Their last game was uh, New Year's Day down in Seattle. Meanwhile... The Florida Panthers played as recently as last Saturday. So they were sharp. And if that's not enough, they also have the best record in the NHL right now. Although the Canucks, I don't think, played all that badly. They fired 44 shots in this game. Elias Pettersson didn't get any points. It was his 200th NHL game. He has 170 points in 200 games. That's a goal by Aaron Ekblad. Why did that go in? Because Demko couldn't see anything except people's backs. one nothing for Florida. Florida scores a lot of first-period goals. Here's another one. Now, this looked like it was going wide, but Sam Reinhart just reaches out his stick and pulls it back in. 2-0 for the Panthers. And that starts a fight. Somebody said something about someone's mother, and you know what happens after that. JT Miller, Radko Gudis go down to the ground. Jason Dickinson would score. Back from COVID protocol. Take another look as uh, Sergei Bobrovsky didn't see that one coming. I don't think he expected it. 2-1. Second period unravels. This is actually Sam Reinhardt's goal. Looks like Huberdeau's, but Reinhardt got a piece of it. So that makes it 3-1. And then 26 seconds later, Max and Mammon will score. And that makes it 4-1. And then... With the Canucks on the power play, Florida wins the faceoff, and Alexander Barkov gets by OEL and scores. 5-1 after two. In the third, the Canucks would get a goal, Yuho Lamico. And from this angle, it looks like maybe this is off the skate of Tyler Mott and in. But in actual fact, if you go to the above angle replay, you'll see... Yeah, right there. Lamico gets his uh, stick, well, kind of on the puck. He basically pushes it in. And uh, Thatcher Demko didn't see as many shots as the uh, Panthers goalie, but he played pretty well when he could see the puck. 5 to the final for Florida. So that's the uh, first game under Bruce Boudreau with no points. And now, as I said, this road trip's not easy. They go to Tampa Bay for a game on Thursday. 
the BC Hockey League has postponed its roadshow event, which was scheduled for Burns Lake next month. The league, of course, had to do it because of rising COVID cases in the north, so they're going to try it again next year. Well, we really had a great program going. First of all, the Lake Babine Nation were going to host a feast on the Friday night, and I think that would have been a great cultural experience for our players. Uh, we also had two games, uh, league games, that would happen on the, on the following two days. And we also had clinics, uh, Canuck alumni coming. It was going to be a real celebration of hockey in the, in the village of Burns Lake. There will be a BC player on Canada's women's Olympic hockey team. Micah Zandi Hart from Sanishton is going to be part of the Canadian defense. It'll be her first Olympics. And the great thing is, if you're on Canada's women's Olympic hockey team, you are pretty much guaranteed a medal. They always get on the podium. Uh, this is Simon Betcher. He was the Whitecaps' first-round pick in today's MLS Super Draft, 16th overall. He's a scorer. For uh, St. Louis University, he had 21 goals in three seasons. He was the Atlantic 10 Offensive Player of the Year. Now, as we said before the break, training camp for the Whitecaps is not that far away. It starts next Tuesday. Uh, not a lot of time after the end of the season, and because there wasn't a lot of time between training camp and the end of the season, that meant Vanny Sartini stayed in his downtown apartment over the holiday season. I enjoyed the city. I enjoyed the fact that... Uh Unlike, uh, we had a, literally a very wide Christmas. It was almost a fairy tale thing. So it's uh, the only thing that was very, very, very difficult for me. I'm not a good driver in the snow, but it's okay. Uh, I, I survived. So that's, that's good. And so did everybody else when he was on the road. We all survived. Uh, the VC Lions have re-signed another veteran on the verge of free agency. Defensive back TJ Lee agreed to a one-year contract. He's been a Lion longer than anyone on the roster right now, having played 94 games over seven seasons. Clearly, you know, um, the, sky, the sky's the limit. It continues to be. Um, I'm not a player that believes I peak or top out. I'm a player of consistency, and I understand that I need to perform. And as far as, I mean, what the numbers have shown, I have been consistent. So I want to continue to apply that to my training regimen um, and continuing to grow as an athlete so that I'm better. In 2022. You know what was on my phone? What? A picture of Sophie Louie as a race car driver. <laughs> See this? Really? And there's other celebrities, not as big as Sophie Louie, but celebrities nonetheless. Jason Priestley. I've tried to keep up with her on the drive home. I know exactly what you're talking <sighs> this about. This will be part of the because e-race this year, right? There's a celebrity e-race during the Canadian <laughs> e-sports mm. festival or e-race festival and on the Canada Day long weekend. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, Chris, because you're actually the race car driver between the two of us, but they asked if I would participate. So I'm asking you right now to coach me and be my pit boss. I would be happy and honored to do that. Because I, yeah. I can't come in last. You're, you're driving one of those. Line here. It's a little solo car. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's going to be don't awesome. Don't be afraid to swap paint and knock a couple of people off the road. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Squire. Stay with us. Our next story will really make your head spin. man is making a name for himself while setting Guinness World Records for a rather unusual activity. Yeah, he can spin just about any kind of sports ball on his finger, 
or even on a toothbrush, setting a lot of records along the way. And as Jay Durant shows us on This Is BC, you might soon see him on network talent shows. It all started about 14 years ago. While still living in India, Sandeep Singh Kala realized he has a very particular set of skills. It's a grip and fast movement. In the highly competitive field of sports ball spinning, Kala is near the top. He has set seven different Guinness World Records. Four have now been broken, but he still holds three titles. Because I can't see, so that is so much harder. Sometimes I get a time, if I go outside in the public place, I just take a ball and spinning. People around me, they're watching and shoot my videos. <laughs> so this is the Indian national record book. That's called a Limka Book of Records. It was just for fun in the beginning, but as Sandeep improved, he started thinking maybe he could achieve some level of distinction. There was uh, nothing to do for me, and I wanted to be famous, and I wanted to become a famous in the world. His unique talent has landed him many guest spots. He's been featured in the annual Guinness World Record book. Wow. He has a YouTube channel documenting his entire spinning career. The big hand. All of his performances and the unveiling each time a new Guinness certificate arrives in the mail. Longest duration spinning American football on one finger. He's auditioned for America's Got Talent and hopes to get on their stage spinning three basketballs. But this time they'll be on fire. It would be amazing. You have never seen it. Even I want to set a one Guinness World Record on the stage of America's Got Talent show. Being a Canadian citizen now, Sandeep has dedicated the records to everybody living in this country. And of course, he'll be going for more. It's an entertaining journey that he's been able to share with a lot of people along the way. I feel very proud. Even my family, my villagers, uh, my, my country Punjab, and my Punjabi community here, they're proud on me very much. Jay Durant, Global News. That is awesome. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell like that, something unique to BC you want to share, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc@globalnews.ca. We need to hook him up with the Harlem Globetrotters. Okay, <laughs> we can hear the rain in the background, Christy. Mm. Oh, yes, it's coming down hard. So overnight tonight, right through the day tomorrow, heavy rain, and we could see some uh, impacts like localized flooding, but certainly it'll be a tough go on the roads. Stay dry if you can. See you tomorrow. Good night, all.